Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti. This is our seventh in our Basic Doctrine series on the Doctrine of Ordinances and Covenants. Our special guest for this episode is adjunct professor at BYU, Stephanie Dibb Sorensen. Before we get to our interview with her, we're going to read now from the Basic Doctrine section of the Church's website under Ordinances and Covenants. Ordinances. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, an ordinance is a sacred, formal act that has spiritual meaning. Each ordinance was designed by God to teach spiritual truths. The ordinances of salvation are performed by the authority of the priesthood and under the direction of those who hold priesthood keys. Some ordinances are essential to exaltation and are called saving ordinances. The first saving ordinance of the gospel is baptism by immersion in water, by one having authority. Baptism is necessary for an individual to become a member of the church and to enter the celestial kingdom. The word baptism comes from a Greek word meaning to dip or immerse. Immersion is symbolic of the death of a person's sinful life and his or her rebirth into a spiritual life dedicated to the service of God and his children. It is also symbolic of death and resurrection. After a person is baptized, one or more Melchizedek priesthood holders lay their hands on the person's head and confirm him or her a member of the church. As part of this ordinance, called confirmation, the person is given the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost is different from the influence of the Holy Ghost. Before baptism, a person can feel the influence of the Holy Ghost from time to time, and through that influence, can receive a testimony of the truth. After receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, a person has the right to his constant companionship if he or she keeps the commandments. Other saving ordinances include ordination to the Melchizedek priesthood for men, the temple endowment, and the marriage sealing. All saving ordinances of the priesthood are accompanied by covenants. In the temple, these saving ordinances can also be performed vicariously for the dead. Vicarious ordinances become effective only when the deceased persons accept them in the spirit world and honor their related covenants. Other ordinances, such as administering to the sick and the naming and blessing of children, are also important to our spiritual development. A covenant is a sacred agreement between God and man. God gives the conditions for the covenant, and we agree to do what he asks us to do. God then promises us certain blessings for our obedience. All saving ordinances of the priesthood are accompanied by covenants. We covenant with the Lord at baptism and renew those covenants by partaking of the sacrament. Brethren who receive the Melchizedek priesthood enter into the oath and covenant of the priesthood. We make further covenants in the temple. Here now is our interview with Stephanie Dibb Sorensen. On this episode, our guest is adjunct professor at BYU, Stephanie Dibb Sorensen, and we're going to be talking about ordinances and covenants today. This is, I believe, number six, no, seven, seven. in our basic doctrine series. Uh, So thank you for coming in. Thank you. This is an interesting subject with respect to missionary work because in many ways it feels like the focus sometimes of what missionaries are asked to do to perform these saving ordinances and to help people make covenants. So, But we're going to go a little deeper than that, hopefully, a little bit broader even. Let's start out with what is an ordinance because we use that term differently than others do. 
Well, I think probably our safest bet is the definition that's in the Preach My Gospel, okay. which just says that an ordinance is a sacred ceremony or rite that shows that we have entered into a covenant with God. Elder Taniola Wokolo gave a talk in general conference. Um, the title of it was Saving Ordinances Will Bring Us Marvelous Light. And he talked about that any time that there are – it's a coin. Anytime there are saving ordinances, there are always covenants associated with yeah. that. And so they go together. Yeah. So we should probably differentiate then because we're talking about saving ordinances on the one hand, mm-hmm. which are essentially the ordinances that we perform in temples. And then there are other ordinances that are non-saving. Um, meaning that they are not required for salvation. Right. So what are those non-saving ordinances? Okay, so ordinances that that we use to just um, invite the power of the priesthood but aren't necessarily for matters related to salvation would include things such as partaking of the sacrament, blessing babies, blessings of health, dedicating homes, things like that. Yeah. So one might have the tendency to prioritize covenants or ordinances as being more important or less important because of that. Can we do that with any sense of surety? Are, are certain ordinances less important or more important? Uh, I think rather than the word important, I would probably focus more on essential. There are some that are essential for salvation with some temple ordinance for exaltation as well. Importance, though, is kind of a different subject because if, for example, I were suffering from a health problem and I needed a blessing of health, that would be important that would feel to me. Very important. It would feel very important, um, but it would not be essential for my salvation. Okay. As missionaries, there are there seems to be a very specific sense that they are called to baptize and that that is the ordinance that they invite people to participate in. When we speak of ordinances as being necessary... How do people of other faiths, again, how do they use the word ordinance? How do they view ordinances? Is this a strange concept that that people might encounter and be like, whoa, that's weird. Why would you do that? So what's kind of the general sense of how we should approach teaching ordinances to people of other faiths? I think that for those that have a Christian background, the idea of ordinances, although the term ordinances might not be familiar to them, the idea that Christ has invited people into to ceremoniously enter into a relationship with him should not be too foreign based on things that he taught in the New Testament about baptism and entering in at the gate and things like that. And we saw that there were um, ceremonious things that he did with his disciples, the sacrament. There are a lot of things. The Old Testament is full of ceremony and ritual, and those represented covenant relationships with with the Lord. And so in our modern sensibility, we're not a super ritualistic society, and so sometimes those kind of things feel a little bit outdated. But those with Christian sensibilities will have some kind of recognition that that has been part of the way that the gospel has been taught for a long time and emphasized by Jesus Christ and later his apostles throughout the epistles and things like that. For those who come from a non-Christian faith, I think it might be a little, a little more difficult, although many religions do have 
ritual traditions. And so ritual and ceremony has always been something that's symbolic of someone's faith and commitment to that faith. And so I think that once there is an understanding of and a testimony of the Savior, Jesus Christ, that there might be able to draw on that idea of ceremony and rites as being a symbol of commitment to that faith. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but some faiths might call it a sacrament. Yes. Whereas we call the sac- the sacrament right. the sacrament. These acts of religious rite can often be called sacraments or ceremonies. Ceremonies, yeah. And they've got lots of different terms for for those things. You yeah. know, in the, uh, in the Jewish faith, they have their bar mitzvah and bar mitzvahs, yeah. and then in Christi- in the Catholic faith, we have. Um, Catechism, yeah. and like there's certain steps that people take and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah. What is the use of an ordinance? Why do we have them? Why has God even required them? Well, I think that the ordinances allow us access to his power and knowledge through the covenants that, that we make. And the ordinance becomes kind of an act or a rite where we give that promise, make that promise. You know, we think of even in modern society, although it's losing its luster a little bit, the idea of marriage, for example, is a ceremony where people stand before God and others and declare uh, a loyalty to and a promise. And so in that same sense, the ordinances do that with Heavenly Father for different promises and they have access to different blessings. We put these two together, ordinances and covenants, and we do say that the salvific ordinances have a covenant associated with them. Let's now jump a little bit to what a covenant is because that can also be new to some people, Mm -hmm. but it's also a concept that I think we misapply in certain places in the church. So what is a covenant? So a covenant is a promise between God and man. And as we read in the definition on that on that church web- website, that the terms are set by God where he promises certain things unto us and we promise certain things in return. It's a two-way contract with the Lord where each of us have access to things. Granted, we don't have a lot to offer the <laughs> offer the Lord, but he, it's an off-balance contract, <laughs> I believe, in every case, yeah. you know, where we don't have a whole lot to offer him except for our will, our willingness, and our commitment to him, and he in return offers us blessings that are far beyond what we earn through that commitment. Sure. It's a strange economy, yes. but it works. And, um, and, those, and the covenants that we make, it places us in the in Preach My Gospel, it says that they place us under strong obligation to honor commitments to God. So it's more than just a, yeah, I'm in. It's a strong commitment, and um, and then and that commitment oftentimes requires a little bit of sacrifice on our part. It's where we're often giving up something in order to turn more to Him yeah. and keep what He's asking us to do as a more regular part of our lives. Yeah, the thing that I want to bring up is in relationship to uh, the White Handbook, the New White Handbook or Missionary Handbook that re- relates to covenants. Because there is often a misunderstanding of the relationship that covenants have, mm-hmm. how they develop, and, and that term relationship is, is really worth exploring. But in this particular case, there is a section in the early on of the handbook that essentially tries to clarify something that I found that missionaries do. I, I did. My missionary companions did. We all kind of do a version of this. But it, it says in the handbook, I quote, do not try to make deals with the Lord and expect specific blessings 
by adjusting what is required of you. The requirements you are expected to uphold are approved by the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and are found in these standards in the White Handbook. For example, don't try to bargain with the Lord by getting up earlier, going without food or drink beyond the monthly fast, or skipping a preparation day. So this bargaining with God, Mm -hmm. we see some things in the scriptures that kind of feel like people bargaining with God and, and it works. How is this related to covenants and maybe how do we apply this as everyday missionaries? Yeah, I think maybe one important distinction is as opposed to a vow or a promise or a deal or a bargain, a covenant, (laughs) as we've said, the terms are set by the Lord. We do have examples in scripture where people have vowed or promised the Lord certain things and then we witness that they receive blessings because they've kept their part of the vow, so to speak. And they attribute that blessing to God. Absolutely. And that certainly can be the case. One thing that I think is important to recognize is that many times what they are offering is something that is part of covenants that have already been made. And so they are feeling inspired or drawn towards a certain act or offering that they can give that helps them to fulfill that covenant, and then they can claim the blessings of that covenant. So one example is Hannah in the Old Testament, who was barren for many years. She went to the temple and prayed to the Lord and made a vow and said, if you will give me a son, I will raise him up unto you. Well, it sounds like a covenant. It sounds like a, a covenant. It's a two-way agreement that she's, ma- she's making with the Lord. Mm-hmm. But if we look at it in a broader scale, we can see that that is a covenant that Anyone who is under covenant with the Lord to be a disciple and have a lifelong path of discipleship, that we would raise up our children unto the Lord, right? That's kind of an unwritten. That's already built in. It's it's built into that. It's part of that, you know, continual increase and eternal family type thing and, and stuff like that. And so she was just reaffirming her commitment to that covenant and promising that she would really do that. And in her case, there was a little bit. She was going to raise him as a specific order of the priesthood where they shaved their heads and, you know, things like that. But um, but that was that was part of what she was doing. And the Lord, and she received blessings for do that, doing that, and she did have a son. Um, but I think in the case of what you're saying, the missionary handbook— the first presidency has drawn kind of a clear line that says we do not expect nor want our missionaries to go beyond what we've already asked of them by nature of their calling by nature of the covenant that they have already covenants they have already entered into in the endowment and um, in their priesthood covenants and things like that they have access to all that they need to do this work successfully They don't need to invent new ways. Right. They do not need to say, oh, if I make this extra secret personal covenant, then I can have power in my work, when really that power is built into their calling. One thing that I think that maybe missionaries should focus on more than extra ways (laughs) is whether or not they are keeping the covenants that they have made with exactness. President Russell M. Nelson said that obedience brings blessings, but obedience with exactness brings miracles. And so that might be, you know, if a missionary is feeling, I I feel like there's something more I could give in order to get something more back in blessings, perhaps look at what you are already being asked to do. Is there something that you can be a little more exact in rather than creating a special covenant or promise <laughs> yeah. that goes beyond that. 
Yeah, we had a, a missionary in my mission, and wonderful man, love him to death. He set some kind of standard with him and his missionary companions that they were going to track 100 hours a week, and in so doing, they would qualify themselves as, as being worthy for a baptism. They woke up at, at 5 in the morning, which was before we were supposed to. Mm-hmm. They would start tracting at 6 in the morning, which is ridiculous. I mean, yeah. talk about upsetting people. <laughs> but Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Um, but those were the types of situations. When I read this thing in the handbook, I thought those are the types of arrangements that missionaries create that will feel like I've made these terms and somehow they just assume either because they're a missionary that God will accept those terms mm-hmm. and as a result be bound to provide a specific blessing. That kind of sets people up for false expectations. One of the things that we have with ordinances and covenants is perhaps this idea of false expectations Mm -hmm. as to what their life will be like after they've entered these covenants. In my particular situation, I would also, do we have false understandings or have you heard things with relation to certain ordinances and covenants that perpetuate these false expectations? Yes, I read this in an Ensign or New Era article dozens of years ago, and it's and it stood out to me. It was called the bubblegum principle, hmm. something where we believe that we put in our quarter into the machine and we should get out our bubblegum okay. right then. And sometimes, I think, with covenants and ordinances, we fall into this misconceived trap where we believe, okay, I'm doing my thing. Now I want my blessing. And when we do not see or recognize the blessing we have in mind from those covenants, we sometimes lose the fervor of keeping the covenant. And so I think that we need to remember that the terms of every covenant are set by the Lord. And that means those terms also include his timing. And so sometimes we may keep covenants for a long time and not see the blessings that we expect. The Lord may be blessing us in many different ways, and it may not look like the gumball we were hoping for, (laughs) right? Or if, you know, in the case of that there is some specific blessing that the Lord does have for us, it might not come in the way or the time that we had anticipated. And so there has to be some level of faith and patience in covenant keeping with the understanding that the Lord will keep his terms of the covenant, but those are not determined by us, neither in time nor in what the blessing looks like. Okay. There's a scripture that's coming to mind that I don't want to say I'm playing devil's advocate with, but I'm curious how we often struggle to reconcile the scripture that says that essentially when we are obedient, he doth immediately bless us. Yes. So we do see a cause and effect. Right. Obedience, reward, Mm -hmm. almost like we're hamsters or something. Right. But in that sense, how do we reconcile a, a verse like that with respect to what you just said? Okay. So what comes to mind for me is a talk that Elder Bednar gave about tithing called the windows of heaven, where he said that sometimes we may expect if we extrapolate that scripture to mean I'm going to pay my tithing and immediately my financial problems will be solved, then we may be disappointed in our keeping of that commandment. Um, But Elder Bednar points out that the Lord blesses us in many different ways, and many of those blessings are 
related to our spiritual capacity. And so just by the obedience of it, if we were to look at something that would be immediate, perhaps an increase of the spirit in our life, which allowed us to access other blessings in different areas of our life. And he goes on in that talk to list many different specific blessings that can come from paying tithing that may not be the blessings that we are looking for. Right. So that's just one one area, but I think that can be applied to many different kind of commandment and blessing relationships that we are looking for. I believe the Lord does immediately bless us in the very least by an increase of his spirit and a growth in our own faith and testimony yeah. as we and you know kind of moving down that covenant path. But what that blessing looks like might not be what we anticipate. And I keep having coming to mind a couple of different talks by Elder Renland as well, where he spoke recently the the talk he gave about the match and okay, yeah. and where he's you know he talked about that when we keep commandments, we don't necessarily immediately get those blessings, but that we do qualify ourselves for those blessings. And so we can have the confidence of knowing we are qualified to receive those blessings when and how the Lord is prepared to give them to yeah. us rather than just it we're not like cashing in our token to get to get them immediately. I want to make sure that we address the idea that there are folk doctrines or things that we bring up and talk about with respect to ordinances and covenants, and specifically those as missionaries, that we should avoid teaching. And I don't often put things on a list of thou shalt nots, (laughs) but there are some things with respect to covenants and ordinances that we should probably put on that list. What are some of the things that you that come to your mind when you that are the that? thou shalt not yeah. like don't mess around with worrying about these things? Yeah. Okay. So a couple of things that I just recall and speaking with my husband and even in some conversation with you, some things that I think commonly missionaries love to speculate about related to ordinances, for example, are things like the dusting of the feet where you like condemn people to <laughs> yeah they're <laughs> to, bound to condemnation <laughs> bound to condemnation because they've rejected your message or things like blood atonement or the second endowment or another one that came up my husband said that they love to talk about how the resurrection whether if fathers are going to resurrect their children in an ordinance or things like that all of those things while there may be some very interesting connection to covenants and ordinances they are not an understanding of that is n- certainly not related to our salvation. They are not things that are being taught by the brethren frequently and with multiple witnesses of voices. So it is not related to our salvation in any way. Therefore, it should certainly not be something that's being taught to investigators. And if it's something that's a matter of conversation among missionaries, it's really wasted time because it does not help you or those that you teach to come close to the ordinances that will save them. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think I feel comfortable going on record as saying that some of these things, whether they're real or not or is immaterial, sometimes they're too sacred to discuss openly. And so as a missionary, whether we think they're interesting or not, they're areas to just avoid. Well, and I think that the danger in dwelling on them too much is that they distract us 
from the saving ordinances of the gospel and the saving message of the gospel, and they create within us this false sense that what we have is not enough, that there's something else, there's something spectacular that we should be aspiring to rather than rather than focusing with exactness on the covenants that we do have that are necessary yeah. for our salvation. Yeah, we, we want to be part of some inner circle of people in the know. Right. And I think the problem was, and I can certainly say that this was the issue for me as a missionary, is sometimes it's really hard to know if you're teaching what the Spirit wants you to say versus what you want to say. And in a way that in this particular case, you want to sound smart. Right. You want to sound like you're the guy that knows all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that is hard for a 19-year-old on a mission to differentiate between, hey, this is neat, maybe even true, mm-hmm. but something that's just not for general audiences. Right. And I think the word general there is key. And I would use general conference as a guideline about whether it's something that should be taught for a general audience. Yeah. Because general conference talks, for example, are geared not just to the church, but to the whole world. And so they are taught on a level that's trying to help people understand our basic doctrines. So if you feel tempted to start teaching and pontificating about subjects that would never be brought up in general conference— it's probably not yeah. something that should be taught. Yeah. Awesome. And what about some other things that maybe some misconceptions that we have about the ordinances themselves that that we could probably do some correcting or adjusting on? Okay. I would say that some misconceptions that I think apply to missionary service uh, particularly is the idea that baptism is the ultimate end-all goal. <laughs> I think that as missionaries, we get so focused on baptism as a statistic or as a check mark um, or as a marker of success when we need to be considering baptism as the gate to a covenant path and a first step rather than the end goal. Yeah. And so if if we are too focused on baptism itself and not on the covenant path that leads to other saving ordinances, then we will not prepare our investigators sufficiently for a lifelong commitment to the gospel. So that's that's one misconception as a missionary that I think needs to be overcome. Um, the other is that some missionaries anxiously believe that they have to be so good at teaching their investigators and help them commit to baptism or that investigator's chance may be gone. That was their one chance. And that if they reject it, maybe because of something you said or didn't say or didn't do the right way, then that person's chance is lost. And that is simply not true. Um, There are so many evidences in Scripture of the Lord's ongoing offering. My arms are stretched out still, and many times he sends his people prophets and teachers and gives them many chances to hear the gospel. And so, you know, tritely we often say you're planting seeds and and that's true but it's it's more than that you are making invitations that help people's minds open to the possibility of a path different than the one they've always envisioned for themselves. And so even though they decide, yeah, I kind of like where I'm at, they at least now know there are other paths that they could take. And that knowledge 
can be helpful to them at many points in their life when the Lord sends them second chances, third chances, fourth chances, whatever that might be. And so there is not a burden upon each missionary to make the one-time invitation for ordinances. Um, for entering into covenants, but it is certainly important for them to teach and invite so that people can understand that there are options that the Lord has created for them to grow in their relationship with him. And I think that to to continue the balance that you're talking about and trying to strive this balance of understanding that that does not diminish the importance of baptism, that saying, saying it in this light does not change the fact that it is or isn't important, as we used the term before. Yes. It, it's still critical. It's still part of their salvation. But there becomes an impatience about getting someone baptized because of how it reflects on us as missionaries. Mm-hmm. And that is a selfishness that I think can be damaging to the work. And so when we assert our own needs for immediacy— with the gospel, we are doing a damage that can be very difficult to to undo. Yeah. And I, I say that in some sense of, of firsthand experience. Uh, I, I'm going to digress slightly. Last month, well, I shouldn't say last month because that dates this. Thanksgiving <laughs> in 2019, about three days before Thanksgiving, my sister, who lives in Mexico, called me up and said, my husband, who is not a member, has decided to get baptized. I didn't even know he was close. Yeah. I know he was taking the missionary lessons because his kids had been baptized. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that was shared with me was it was kind of touch and go for a while on whether or not he was going to get baptized because the missionaries were pushing so hard for it. It was actually off-putting. It was off-putting mm-hmm. because it was just give me some time to yeah. to think about this and study about this. In essence, what the what I took from that was missionaries, elders in this case, you are preaching that it is important, but you are rushing people to that importance and making it an urgent and important thing in the sense that you're almost giving the impression that salvation is again this is your chance. Yeah. You're on a timer. Yeah. And that's damaging. It actually could turn people off from the very thing you want if you get so hung up on that one thing. That one ordinance. And so there's a balance to it. Obviously, that is what they are called to do. They are called to preach repentance and baptize and bring people into the church. Absolutely. But how you do that can be damaging. It needs to be extended with faith instead of with fear. Right. As well, that that invitation. And I think when you say it can be damaging to the work, I would also, by extension, say it can be damaging to you as an individual if you measure your success only by that ordinance rather than by the invitation. Because it's uh, it's someone else's choice. Yes. Right. We are we are not judged by someone else's choice. Right. So in this particular case, there's a limit to to how we use baptisms as a metric yeah. for our spirituality. 
Right. And I'd like to kind of go back to what you were saying before about it being this first step and understanding that there's there's more beyond that, not so hyper-focusing on that. In Preach My Gospel, it says, before baptism, we show our willingness to enter a covenant. After baptism, we show our faith by keeping our covenants, and we also regularly renew the covenants. And so I thought those three words, enter, keep, and renew, should probably have equal balance as we teach. Yeah. Sometimes we're so hyper-focused on the enter, but it would it would be more effective if we are also preparing people to keep and to renew those covenants yeah. and understand the importance of that lifelong commitment to the gospel as well. I had a discussion the other day with an old mission companion of mine regarding the standard or level of worthiness someone needs to demonstrate to be baptized. There are standards that are set in Preach My Gospel and guidelines that they are encouraged to use. Mm-hmm. There are also those which the missionaries keep with them that are unwritten and perhaps um, extend beyond what's in Preach My Gospel. The question that I have for you is what sort of areas or guidelines can can we offer with respect to understanding from elders or sisters how to best prepare someone for baptism in meeting the criteria of Preach My Gospel. This is going to sound like a cop-out, but I think that a lot of that is going to be dependent upon your mission president because he has priesthood keys for that mission, and he is the one who's, who is going to authorize or delegate the authorization of baptismal interviews for people to be prepared to enter into that ordinance. And I think that culturally, there are probably certain things that are going to be more specific or less emphasized where there may be more leeway on certain things just because of a a cultural struggle with it or something along those lines. And the mission president, I think, would probably be the best one to help determine to what level the willingness is being expressed and things like that. And so, you know, whereas in one mission, Someone who might still be struggling with smoking, for example, might not be that big of an issue because that's just this huge cultural norm. Whereas another, there might be kind of a more strict guideline, like they need to have quit by a certain amount of time in order order to be considered worthy and ready for baptism. And while the standards that are given don't lay down those kind of clear guidelines on specific things, I think... That's potentially because there is room for interpretation, but my warning would be is perhaps the interpretation should not be done by missionaries, but rather under the counsel of the mission president who has priesthood keys over that mission. So seek the priesthood keys for guidelines on that matter. Yes. Excellent advice. When we talk about ordinances, covenants, doctrines, we also have practices relating to those doctrines. So the doctrine being that there are ordinances required for our salvation and that there are covenants associated with those ordinances. There are also practices associated with that. And in that sense, there needs to be an understanding of priesthood authority with respect to adjustments to the practices of ordinances. In what ways have we seen that recently and, and how do we Maybe not teach this, but so much, how do we understand it? Yeah, I think this goes back to 
the idea of priesthood keys, right, that they are held and exercised by the president of the church. The Quorum of the Twelve also hold all of the keys. And so they are authorized to adjust policies and practices as revealed to them by the Lord and as they meet together in council and have the confirmation of the Holy Ghost. And so um, in order to better meet the needs of a growing church or changes in society, they can receive revelation about how ordinances can be adjusted. We have recently seen that the temple endowment has had a few adjustments made to it, both in timing and in wording, things like that. We also have seen examples of how ordinances have been opened up, for example, to 11-year-olds to enter into the temple. We've had adjustments that girls and women can now be witnesses for certain ordinances. The ordinances themselves have not been changed. The purpose and function of those ordinances has not been changed, but the way that they are administered and those who can participate in the administration of them has been changed through revelation. And so that is authorized because of the priesthood keys that those leaders hold. Yeah. And this is a common challenge or question that are posed by those of other faiths when we approach the topic of baptism ordinances is the topic of authority. Now, we've talked about priesthood authority in other episodes, but in this particular case, it seems to be necessary to bring up the relationship of authority to ordinances. Absolutely. I don't think that you can properly teach ordinances without an understanding of priesthood authority because you will come across many investigators and learners of gospel lessons that have experienced something that they consider to be ordinance or sacrament in other faith traditions that they will say, well, I've I've already given myself to Jesus Christ in this way, or Mm -hmm. I have already made promises to him in this way. And while we certainly don't want to diminish the promise or the loyalty that they have pledged to the Savior, I think that we can enhance that commitment for them by helping them understand that there is authority on the earth today that can literally bind us to the Savior and to eternal blessings when we participate in ordinances with that authority. How how do we best do that, though? Because that's always been a challenge to convey the necessity of that authority when someone is very much under the mindset of, that's bull. I, I did it. I know it's real. Is, is there any particular way that you found that conveys that meaning in a powerful way? Well, I don't know that there's going to be one right answer because this is, this is one of those areas where this you are going to have to rely upon the spirit to kind of know the heart and mind of the individual. You would never want to diminish the commitment that they have made or felt as they have as they have done whatever kind of ceremony that Mm -hmm. has made them feel connected to the Lord, I think that it would be important to kind of celebrate that as evidence of their faith and then just try to set the stage with the understanding of priesthood authority and restoration. I think if they cannot grasp that idea, then it would be very difficult for them to feel a need for any kind of repeated or different ordinance. But if they do understand apostasy, restoration, and priesthood authority, and they can come to a testimony of that, then there will be a greater desire within them to remake that commitment with the added blessing of authority where it can be more binding in an eternal sense rather than just a statement that they've made. 
And I, so in many cases, I believe that they see those ordinances that they have done as a statement of loyalty and faith. And that should be honored. But to also understand that with authority, it's more than a statement of faith, but there is an eternal binding that can happen that can offer to them even greater blessings than what have been what has been made available to them by their faith already expressed. And it does feel a little like if someone has a testimony of the Book of Mormon, of the Restoration, mm-hmm. that authority kind of comes naturally to mm-hmm. that because then it's, I'm not offended by this idea. I don't feel like it diminishes where I've been, right? but gives me a clear path of where to go. So would you say that perhaps if someone still has an issue with that, that you need to backtrack, that you maybe need to go back and kind of stick with the Book of Mormon and, and restoration instead of continuing on through baptism? Yeah, I'm, I think if the issue is not with baptism itself, but whether or not baptism should be redone or in a different way or anything like that, then I think, yes, we have we have to go back and invite people, not just teach it, but invite people to gain a t- prayerful testimony of restoration and the authority of the priesthood. And just say, look, look you're right. If this priesthood is not really directed from God, then it doesn't matter. But if it is, then it does. And invite them to prayerfully, they obviously have a faith relationship with Heavenly Father because they've made commitments with Him. Mm-hmm. You know, ask them to act on that and communicate with their Heavenly Father and receive revelation from Him about whether or not this authority is needed to enhance the blessings that they can receive from baptism. Awesome. I like that. So I'm kind of curious then how being a missionary or doing missionary work is a fulfillment of covenant in and of itself. So I think there are a few different aspects here that I I think are incredibly interesting. I've recently studied Elder Nelson's talk, Covenants, that was given in 2011, where he just really breaks down the importance of us all being covenant children, that that should be our our identity, is that we are people who have made covenants with the Lord. And as missionaries, then, we need to keep that in mind, that we are covenant keepers, and that by doing our missionary work, we are fulfilling some of the covenants that we have made, but that also our role is bringing people onto the covenant path. We are inviting people to make covenants with the Lord. And he talks about the Abrahamic covenant in the Old Testament and how there were so many beautiful things that thousands of years before Christ was even born were being promised would happen, that Jesus Christ would come, that there would be a posterity and a priesthood, that this gospel would go to many nations. We can see the connection to missionary work there. And that also that all nations of the earth would be blessed by the seed of Abraham. So those of us who are covenant keepers are either literally or adopted in to Abraham's family and the and Israel and now we are going throughout the world and sharing the gospel and then the promise that 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 this covenant all these blessings of this covenant will be eternal and everlasting. So missionaries then have this awesome opportunity to be a fulfillment of that promise that was made to Abraham so long ago. In fact, President Nelson said, he was Elder Nelson at the time, but he said, ours is the responsibility to help fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. Ours is the seed foreordained and prepared to bless all people of the world. 
That is why priesthood duty includes missionary work. After some 4,000 years of anticipation and preparation, this is the appointed day when the gospel is to be taken to the kindreds of the earth. This is the time of the promised gathering of Israel, and we get to participate. Isn't that exciting? And so really it is a great blessing that both as members and as missionaries, we get to fulfill these covenants that God has been making since the beginning of time and that many of them in our day, we are the tools, we are the hands, we are the mouthpiece that through the authority we have been given as missionaries or as teachers or whatever that might be, we fulfill that covenant in bearing testimony and inviting others to join us on the covenant path. Yeah, that's awesome. So much good stuff. Thank you. You're welcome. And um, again, ordinances and covenants is another part of this basic doctrine series. And we continue next in the, in the series with talk of families, which the sealing ordinance and, and marriage and family. And there's just so much that builds upon the other. So this has been a great discussion on ordinances and covenants. Thank you again for coming in. Thank you for having me. Thank you again for listening to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. This has been part seven in our Basic Doctrine series on the doctrine of ordinances and covenants. The next in our Basic Doctrine series is on marriage and family. But before we get to that episode, we are going to have another special episode from Stephanie Sorensen, where it's kind of a part two, if you will, on our Prophets and Revelations episode, but also to talk about her book, Learn of Me is a gospel study program that I think is very relevant and helpful for missionaries that follows the program laid out by our prophet, President Nelson. So stay tuned for both of those upcoming episodes from the Latter-day Saint Mission cast. Thanks for listening.